1: You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Myst Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward. I'm Spanners, the host and producer of Myst Apex Podcast. We're an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. And we are joined by the never-wrong F1 media legend, Joe Sayward. Hi, Joe. I'm not sure I'm never wrong. Usually, I'm not too far off. Stick to your guns, Joe. Well, I mean,
2: you know, I've I've been known to make mistakes. It does happen. Everyone does. It would be it would be inhuman if we did not.
1: So I'm always told by the rest of the panel on Miss Apex Podcast to not respond to like horrible comments on YouTube or on the website. When people argue with you on your blog, you just sort of go like two words like bog off.
2: Well, it's not quite like that, but yeah, I mean, the thing is that people think that I sit here endless amounts of time, but if you have the number of comments that I have and you spend two minutes on each one and you work it all out, you end up with sort of six hours a day and
1: I haven't got six hours a day free. Do you remember last time we came on, I said, people love you, Joe. Did you see all the tweets and the positivity that we sent your way?
2: I saw lots of positivity, but actually I see quite a lot of positivity normally. It's only a few negative uh, types, types. Good save, Joe. Oh well, I just got I fell over. I, I was up very early this morning. I had to leave home at 6:15 this morning to go and see the damn
1: Chinese embassy. Well, Rotage Rotage asks, "Joe, what would you have done if you didn't get your visa?" because uh, you've never missed a Grand Prix in 45 years.
2: Well, it's something like that. It's not quite that long, but um I will I would have I would
1: have been very annoyed
2: and I would have gone and shouted at the Chinese people some more.
1: Hopefully, select Chinese people, Joe, not just any Chinese people.
2: Well, not you know, it's not, it's not an awful lot of point in going to the local Chinese restaurant and shouting at them, is it? You know, the fact is, it's a bunch of bureaucrats who sit in offices uh, and just basically order people around um, and can get away with it. So
1: we followed the saga with interest. <laughs> it's
2: so tiresome, really.
1: We followed the saga with interest on your Twitter. Was it as emotional as we could see the emotions seething out of your Twitter account at Joe Saywood?
2: <laughs> well, it was. Uh, it's just it, it's not really emotional. It's just it's just very dull. I mean, I literally if you don't mind driving six hours a day down the same roads each particular time and back on the same roads each time, it, it, it's fine. But I've, I've got better things to do with my life than that. So you know, if the Chinese—I uh, mean, the point of a Chinese Grand Prix is to promote China. So if they don't let you in, they're—they're they're not entirely intelligent, are they?
1: So is the whole Formula One circus having to go through this rigmarole for every—you know—for every non-EU race?
2: No, no, no. It's only the media because we are undesirables. But it's—it's it's true. I mean, you know, the 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 uh, mechanics and the, and the and the team bosses and the team marketing people, all the rest of it—they just you know they're they're doing their jobs. We're going there doing our jobs, but unfortunately being in the media is not something that some governments like. They don't don't want the media. They don't want us to shine the light on them, which is kind of bizarre if you have a Grand Prix, but you don't want the world to know about yourself. It is kind of bonkers. You've You've got your priorities all mixed up if that's the
1: case. Especially when this is probably almost definitely nearly perhaps the thousandth race Grand Prix or point scoring event of Formula One.
2: It is the thousandth Grand Prix, believe me. It has been researched in great depth. To make sure it is actually the thousandth grand. Prix.
1: Wait, wait, wait! It's a thousandth. What? What does that mean? The thousandth F one race is that what it no, means?
2: No, it doesn't mean the It means the thousandth World Championship Formula One World Championship event. And what that means is, in the old days, they used to call it Grand Prix because you can have Grand Prix. There's a Po Grand Prix, and it's never part of the World Championship. The grande Prix is is a kind of title given to every Formula One World Championship event. And this is the 1,000th Grand Épreuve. Now, there are some people who say that the Indy 500 wasn't run to Formula One rules, but it was a Formula One World Championship Grand Épreuve. So you can't ignore it. And if you say, okay, well, we'll kick them out, um, then you have to kick out 1952 and 1953 because the World Championship was run to Formula Two regulations, you will remember. Oh, yes. So of course, I mean, you were you were right there on the on the fence at that time. I'm sure, but you know, so you you just got to accept it and and just do the count, and the count comes to one thousand. So there you are.
1: <clears throat> so there we go. So so you're you're doing down the naysayers who are trying to say this isn't the thousandth event. I think there's some people scrambling and finding an excuse for it to be somewhere like Monza or Silverstone.
2: Well, we've been through all this, um, not not with people. Uh, who are not involved in the business? People who are involved in the business. We went through all this some months ago to make sure it was correct, and uh, so it is. It is one, de- definitely one hundred percent correct. What's really fascinating is the is the a number of Grand Prix there have been per decade, because it's increased with every decade. So the nineteen fifties, there were I think eighty four, um, and it went on, and by by the nineteen 19- eighties, it was double that number. And the twenty tens it will be and ninety eight by the time we finish this year. So that tells you how much it's grown, which is why people like me can do five hundred and fifty of the thousand Grand Prix, you know. Um, oh
1: right. So hang on. How many Grand Prix have you done?
2: Well I've done about five five fifty ish, something like
1: that. So half of all Grand Prix have had you know, I've
2: done I've done wow. more than half the Grand Prix that have <laughs> happened. But that doesn't mean I've, I've been doing it for half the time because, obviously, otherwise I'd be very old, wouldn't I? Or dead, even, because, um well, that's what happens if you live long enough.
1: It does. Philip in the chat room. We've got a live chat room, Joe. Are you aware? They, I'm what, aware there is a chat room, yes. They watch us live and they make comments. Philip's been very naughty. Spanners wasn't even a twinkle in the milkman's eye back then. How dare you? Mama Spanners was a saint, I tell you. And a an European says, well, marketing... Says it's the thousandth event. Certainly, F1 have been pushing this. Uh, it is a big, nice round number. As have you heard of any special things happening for the thousandth event? Any special liveries or anything like that?
2: Not that I know of. Um, there's an awful lot of uh, publications around the world saying, "Will you please write about your the best ten races?" This kind of stuff. Um, and frankly, uh, we've decided in Grand Prix Plus to do our favourite. Ah, our, our best races. So you know, ones don't necessarily—they might be among the best races they've ever been, or the best drivers, whatever. But it's our personal opinions. Um, other cases where I'm working, um, we're doing all kinds of funny things, like high points, low points, this sort of stuff. Just something different because everybody's doing, the, the, you know, the best this, the best driver, the best car. They
1: wake me up at the end. You know? Well, that makes Richard from Molden's question seem terrible now, but I'm going to shame him anyway. Richard from Molden uh, in Essex asks, Bahrain was one of the most exciting races I've watched. Please ask Joe what he considers to be the most exciting races he's watched and whether you still get particularly excited about it or if it's just a job now. I mean, Bahrain is not wrong especially the the early part of that and then the late drama as a show that was an incredible couple of hours of motorsport
2: i get excited at all the grand prix i think they're all interesting so you know it's not um it's not something that you can um uh say i'm I'm bored with no um if you're asking for the best ever wow well that's a, a difficult call but i think I think the World Championship decider in two thousand and eight is pretty hard to beat in for Brazil.
1: Drama wise, yeah.
2: Drama wise, although you know uh, the Spanish Grand Prix in nineteen eighty one, I think it was. I'd have to check the dates. Uh, you know where Villeneuve had five cars behind him for lap after lap after lap and managed to hold them all off. That was pretty exciting. Uh, the showdown between Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg that was pretty exciting.
1: Um, I've got a candidate. Because we're going to do a historic race review well, there's, soon. There's
2: also 1979 French Grand Prix, which is, you know, that's proper racing, you know. That so wasn't. There's, there's also 1980, 1982 Monaco Grand Prix, where you had no clue who was winning on the last lap. You know, it was fabulous. Um, but, I've, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different choices out there. Um, what
1: about Suzuka 93 with um, all the Suzuka rain? Suzuka
2: 93 with Senna winning. That was one of Senna's great wins. Yes.
1: Yes. So uh, we having occasion-
2: said that, uh, I think Suzuka eighty eight was better, um, where he where he basically left the grid with a box full of neutrals and came from the back through to win. That was pretty spectacular.
1: So, what is your criteria in this though? What makes it a good race for you? Because so there's far no,
2: there's no criteria. It's just
1: what gets you excited. You're so. just describing chaotic things at the moment. Is it chaos? Oh, but that's
2: often what gets you excited. You know. Um, I remember Monaco 84 was terrific where you had Prost Senna chasing and Beloff chasing Senna in the wet, very wet. I was very, very wet. Uh, and th- they flagged it early, which was disgraceful. Um, but uh, I think if it had gone full distance, Senna would have probably caught Prost. I think Beloff would have caught Senna, to be honest.
1: When you look back at races, even in from the early 90s, because we went back and we did some historic race reviews – the first thing that strikes me is the cars look like almost undrivable. Nearly all of them under power application are flicking out at the back and they're having constant scary moments where they're having to catch it. For someone like you who's been watching it for so long, like, I mean, did the 70s cars, was that effect even more so? And now that they're planted, does it make you go, ah, oh, it's a bit easy that?
2: I would never say it's easy, <laughs> but I, I think there is a key point to remember along the way which was when, uh, 1978, when, uh, when ground effect really came in, that altered everything because you couldn't slide the cars around like they used to be slid around. And it's always been the same ever since then. It's always been more difficult, but the cars today are faster than they've ever been. Um, they're very exciting to watch. Um, the racing is pretty good apart from certain tracks where you just can't do it. So I think we discussed the last time you have to change the tracks a little bit in certain examples. But, you know, there's no reason why that can't happen. It's just a question of money. It's just a matter of finding who's going to pay.
1: Yeah, we were talking about straightening out turns one and two at Australia and going through a golf course, weren't you? Uh,
2: not quite but close yes we were we, we were we were talking about going straight on at turn one and ending up at turn three and passing alongside a golf range a driving ah, range
1: right, yeah. had visions but, um, of you bulldozing the. Yeah, that, 18th that's green.
2: entirely doable it's just a matter of money right? Really.
1: so uh we've got people suggesting things in the chat room uh, let's see the prize for the most eco-friendly grand prix uh, usa 2005 very low emissions very droll Hereth <laughs> 1997 is a suggestion from Philip Allen.
2: I think there was an Australian Grand Prix, whichever year, I can't remember. It was 14 laps only. We went all the way to Australia for 14 hmm. laps and then flew oh. all the way home again.
1: Uh, cool. Well, let's get into kind of more current events then. Uh, Bahrain, incredibly enjoy- enjoyable for me. We We certainly got excited and we've kind of missed the fact that there was a test afterwards in bahrain uh, with lots of new drivers Uh, do you feel like there was any standout rookie drivers there and rob andrew asks how do you feel about the children of ex-drivers getting opportunities that unknown kids wouldn't get so obviously uh, mick schumacher was was testing in f1 to a lot of excitement to a lot of fanfare and to a lot of attention
2: well it's very simple um there comes a point at which everybody who is the son of somebody famous or well connected or whatever has to prove their worth and it comes usually if they if they've got the money they can sail up into formula 1 but then they have to prove that they should be there which is you know the struggle that lance stroll is going through at the moment um, you have to prove that you've got what it takes to be competitive and if you haven't you're wasting your time now if you look back in history you'll see sons of famous fathers there've been a few Who've been very successful. Um going right back to the beginning, Albert, Alberto Ascari, his father was a Grand Prix legend, and he won the world championship. Um, you go on from there, you have Damon Hill, uh Graham Hill's son, you have
1: Jacques Villeneuve. Would you would you count Damon Hill, obviously a world champion, but would you count Damon Hill as among the great F1 drivers? Um, I think he's
2: I think he's certainly uh, up there in terms of uh, he, he achieved a hell of a lot. Remember he beat Michael Schumacher on several occasions and, and the cards were not that different in terms of, I mean, you know, um, he broke Michael Schumacher um, in, in, uh, in Adelaide in 94.
1: Should have beaten him uh, twice.
2: Mm-hmm? Should have beaten him twice. Well, he, he yes, he should have mm-hmm. won the world championship, but Michael Schumacher drove into him, you know, so that's just the way it was. As to Mick Schumacher, I don't think it was that impressive. Um you get in the Ferrari, you drive around, you have softer tyres and the people around you set a fast time. It's I, not rocket science. I think... I don't I, understand why they were doing it. That's the other thing. Why put pressure on the kit?
1: I think there was an Express headline that said Mick Schumacher sets lap times in the Ferrari to make Lewis Hamilton quake in his boots or something to that effect. But it is such a sellable and marketable name. Could that be the motivation
2: Yes, I mean it could be the motivation, but it's not good for him being thrown in um, above his head. Probably, I mean he didn't do a great job in Formula Two. He finished eighth in the first race. um, Formula?
1: Oh, this season's Formula Two.
2: Oh, in in Bahrain, Mm. that put him on pole for the second race. But you know, to be quite honest, uh, I didn't. I wasn't overly impressed, one way or the other. Now, give the guy a break. You know, it's tough. It's not easy. Um, to be, uh, well, it's easy and it's not easy because you have all kinds of advantages and all kinds of disadvantages. So, um, I don't know. I I, just, just let's see what he can do.
1: I think you you get the advantage of definitely having a path laid out for you, but in terms of selection pressure, Michael Schumacher, Nico Rosberg, Carlos Sainz, they're never going to have the same selection pressure as Lewis Hamilton, who had to Stand out from a much bigger pool of people down in karting So, could it be that it's it's easier to get up to a certain point, but actually, it, it's harder once you get to the very top? Yes, that's, that's a fair oh, comment. That's the first time you've agreed with me in 28 episodes. I'm so chuffed. Really? It's good to, okay. Yeah. You've well, I, me at, you even th- like no,
2: no. I mean, the fact is that you've got connections and money that 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 lead you on the fast track. And that's what sons of famous fathers have. When they get up to a certain level, then they have to prove it. And and that's basically what it boils down to. And you know, and proving it means winning. Um, not just sort of cruising around in the midfield. So um no, I don't think it's I don't know. I, I'm 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 yet to be convinced by Mick. I don't think there was anyone particularly standing out in the test beyond that. George Russell was in the Mercedes. Uh, mainly because he hasn't done enough Grand Prixs to uh, – he still counts as a young driver. Ah, right. Whereas Esteban Ocon really should have been in the car if, if you know, it would have been
1: fair. It's, but, a, bit, it's um, a bit cruel, isn't it, giving George Russell a taste of the Mercedes and then shipping him back off to Williams?
2: Well, he didn't seem to complain too much about it, you know. So um, it gives him a chance to go fastest and to show that he's um, good. And, you know, we'll see. Might, we're not going to see he's very good this year in the Williams, except that he's going to be beating Robert Kubica, or he has been beating Robert Kubica quite um, extensively even.
1: All right, let's go there first then. Let's go there first because we've had two races to have a look. Probably not fair to judge Robert Kubica after a, such a long gap in the first two races. But it, is this as 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 you expected? Or actually, I mean, I was reasonably impressed that he's, that much on pace even if he's losing out to George Russell who as far as we know could be an F1 genius and future world champion I mean Kubica's not embarrassing himself he's he's pretty much on pace well no I don't agree with that no I, I think he's not on the pace that's
2: that's clearly the problem um, you know and, and the pace is decided by a few tenths here and there so yes he's doing exactly what I thought he would be doing which is being vaguely close but he's not in the game so uh, fundamentally, uh, he's, he's the, he's there because of money. Um, and because of the fairy tale. And you know, I know that'll upset people in Poland, but that's just the reality that you have to accept. And I'd like to see him do well. I really would. But I just think that after all the years have gone by and all the, and all the troubles he went through, um, it's very, very hard to imagine him going to, he's going to be as good as a, 23-year-old who hasn't had an
1: accident that, that mashed him up. Emails to Joe Sayward at gmail.com, presumably. Uh, you, is, there, is, there hope? is there hope then that George Russell is going to do anything else apart from comfortably beat his teammate some two or three seconds a lap down from the rest of the field? Is, is there any hope that Williams is going to recover? Is it like they've got so much low-hanging fruit that they can pluck off and it's just a case of just unlocking something? to get there or do they have to, do they have to really overhaul and change everything? There is no sign that the car is going to be competitive. There is no So it's not like, ah, oh,
2: f- George Russell will finish 19th a lot of times this year, I fear. So mm. no, I mean, there's nothing indicating that we're going to see a massive leap forward. Everybody else are fast developing. And, um, so what's happening? Really we've got, Polish? we've
1: got, yeah, we've got some Polish people in the chat room. Yeah. They're not, they're not happy at all. That's... Well,
2: that, that be that as it may i'm sorry these are realities they just have to cope with it
1: <laughs> sorry i'm just reacting to the rest of the, the chat room going hmm so poland loves joe i think joe i think you've given an honest and consistent let, let's give joe the benefit of the doubt that you're you don't have a vendetta oh, listen
2: listen the polish the polish fans are very passionate and that's jolly nice and they get taken they get They take Pat a little too far, a lot of them, which is not jolly nice. It's rude and unpleasant. And so all I'm asking for is them to have a little dose of reality, like a bucket of cold water over their heads, to have a think about what's really going on. So that's all. And I'm not willing to sit here and be insulted by people from Warsaw, you know,
1: if that's what they want to do. They They can all go jump in the lake. A big hello to our Polish fans. Welcome to Missed Apex podcast. Do subscribe to us by searching for Missed Apex on your podcatcher of choice or going to YouTube and searching for Missed Apex. If you click a little bell, you'll get a notification every time we go live and you can join us in the chat room and yell at Joe as well. So Patrick Head going back, though, surely that's going to turn everything around.
2: No. Why? Why? Because Patrick Head's not going back. Patrick head is looking at it from a distance and going, well, that's ridiculous. And that's basically what he's going to do. He's not going back to run it. He's going there just to say, well, you might try this. You might try that. They need to get other people in to run it and they need to do that, but they can't do that because there are legal problems with Paddy Lowe. until they sort the legal problems. They can't hire anybody else. So ah. basically we have a period of time, uh, at which during which people have to find a settlement or you know basically the seasons written off for williams it's a simple already answer.
1: it's completely gone i would say so even as with stuart points out with sir patrick head uh, in there giving it doesn't it syntax. doesn't
2: make a difference no. if you're sir patrick head or you know john barnard's not a sir uh, and he achieved an awful lot so you know it's all irrelevant all this knighthoods and all the rest of it you know claire williams has got an obe which is more than lewis hamilton has and explain that one to me some idiot in the cabinet office who's who's obviously mixed up with something called brexit um you know can't actually figure out who is more important claire williams or lewis hamilton i mean they're just all mad the, the honors system is is completely broken and actually is completely discredits itself
1: I wish I had Lewis a strong Hamilton,
2: Lewis Hamilton MBE after five world championships.
1: Come on. I wish I had a strong opinion on any of those things one way or the other Joe, but somebody is asking about your uh, your hardness on Claire Williams. AZ Wing says, "Joe seems less willing to be hard on Claire these days. Is there a reason?" Because I think a lot of people now, Williams fans are going, "Well, you know, we've we've chopped out some of the other factors. Maybe it's maybe it's you, but you are quite Quite no, natural. I
2: don't think she's doing a very good job.
1: But oh, right. the,
2: the point is not whether she can do a good job or not. It, it, it's, it's why she's doing it. She's doing it for the right reasons. She's passionate. It's a family business. Is she doing a great job? Probably not. <clears throat> but, you know, she needs to get help from other people to do it. Um, and perhaps she's not meant to be a, a team principal. You know, that is the other thing to, to take into account. One has to, you know, not everybody's suited to do that job. And, you know, it, it's it's like being a football manager, to be honest. The difference is that she, at least the family, owns the shares. So it's a bit easier for her to stay on. It, it, if she was with another team and there was a different ownership, I think she would have been fired by now.
1: Wow. Strong words from Joe Say with Joe, you do a blog online. You do your little green notebook and you also do periodic news updates. People can find you by searching Joe Saywood F1, but that's not even... Joe Blogs F1, actually, is the way to do it? Joe Joe Blogs F1. A joke which I now understand. Good. Because it's blogs and a common name when you don't know the surname, Blogs. See? I never realised you were a genius before. Now I've worked it out. They get it now because I explained it to them. Okay, but that's not even your bread and butter, Joe. You do a a typed out magazine which you individually hand deliver to every subscriber and and then you you hand sign them as well don't you with a quill pen no that's gp plus magazine is delivered by carrier GP pigeon plus magazine is an electronic magazine
2: that comes out six hours after each race which is 80 pages long and it's totally brilliant uh if you don't like that sort of thing if it's got too many words like, apparently the younger generation can't deal with more than 312 words without going, Oh my God, i must go and have a lie down. Um, and watch a video. Um, you know, there's nothing we can do for you, but if you're into it, if you're into racing and you're passionate about it, Grand Prix plus, it's all about the passion is the catch line.
1: Uh, so if I subscribe to that though, so what do you do? You fax it to me after the race? How does that work? You no, know, we do not fax anything.
2: You go and pick it up. You, you, you it's like going to the news agent you go you you go to
1: a website and you download it ah, the internet, okay, good, so g p. plus magazine Joe, and it's you, uh some photographers and a, a band of dancing girls.
2: no, it's me, David Tremaine, uh Peter Nygaard, and Mike Duson, who between us have more than two and a half thousand Grand Prix between us got
1: lots that of questions
2: twice as many as they've had in the history of the thing, so all four of us are over five hundred Grand Prix.
1: Nice. Joe, you have opinions and I want to ask you some of them. Thank you for giving up some time for us before I know you're heading to the Chinese Grand Prix tomorrow. So we appreciate you being here on Miss Apex podcast. Uh, The chat room has a question uh, that I'd like to ask you. Uh, Maritus uh, Capetlin says, Joe, to what extent are the bad Red Bull results related to Pierre Gasly? It's not it's not sounding good. I was quite hopeful for Pierre Gasly. But saying that he can't get to grips with the setup kind of feels like a footballer saying, I can't figure out how to run around in these boots. It's it's not I know it's just the beginning, but it's not encouraging.
2: It's just the beginning. I think he's been he's been very unfortunate thus far. Um, He's ended up at a long way down the grid on both occasions, but I think he's quite capable of running at the front. So we just have to get, you know, he needs to get himself together and sorted. But who are they going to replace him with? You know, uh, if you look at Toro Ross, you've got Danny Kvyat, who's been blown away by Alex Albon so far in both the races. So, um, you know, Alexander is a new boy. So what are you going to do, promote him in, into that? Team, I don't think so. I mean, they want to put Dan Tictum in, but I don't think Dan Tictum can get a super license until the end of the year. I spoke to Dan in Bahrain, and he seems like a perfectly nice fellow. Um, he's had a few bizarre moments in his career, that's for sure. Um, and But, you know, he seems very enthusiastic and very talented, so we'll see how he does. He goes. But I think throwing him into a Red Bull against Max Verstappen is a bit like lobbing yourself into a a vat of petrol with a match lit in one
1: hand, isn't it? I mean, the chat room isn't as optimistic as you. Uh, Cadenath says, when will Albon replace Gasly? Albon is fast and Albon's tie route should play a role in Red Bull promoting him, surely. But also, you know, Gasly has thus far found himself dicing with Albon and Toro Rosso's. He's definitely got to get himself out of that zone in the next few races, though, because Red Bull do not mind dropping a driver mid-season. No, they don't, but
2: I mean, two races. Just remember, we've done two races. Yeah, but that's
1: all we've got to wildly speculate on, so
2: we shall. No, you can wildly speculate on all kinds of exciting other things. You don't have to wildly speculate on the drivers. It's way too early to do driver speculation for next year. Fine. You'll be telling me next that Fernando Alonso is coming back because he sat in the car the other day. You know, he
1: sat. Wait, this is news. Fernando Alonso sat in a car. Which car? How fast did it go? Did it look cool? Is he about to return and get third title?
2: He tested in the young driver test for McLaren. Did you not know that? No,
1: why did he sit in a car? Well, he tested the car. He drove it around in circles. No way. At the test? I didn't yes. know that. I've completely missed that. Alonso's back in F1. That's the headline. Yeah. Steve, no, that's no. the headline for the YouTube.
2: Yes, Alonso is back in F1. He said the car's better than last year.
1: And <laughs> Lando Norris says, here yeah, you, bog off. I want my car back. <laughs> is, um, is there a chance he could come back then? So I don't really understand. What's his involvement then with McLaren? He's still still vaguely but driving
2: in the- their car in the Indianapolis, isn't uh, right. it? Well, how does that get you a test? So basically drive? the team does everything he tells them to. Oh, I, I'm not allowed to say that, I suppose, but you know, <laughs> um, they, they think that he's, uh, he's, he's the second Messiah. Um, but to be quite honest, yes, he's, he's a fantastic racing driver and he's still perfectly capable of racing in Formula One. But <clears throat> why would you give your cars to a couple of young rising stars? if you're immediately going to kick them out and ruin their careers. I know McLaren has had a habit of ruining young careers.
1: Uh, Mag- Magnussen, Perez. Uh, yes. <laughs>
2: there There's go. a long list of second drivers at McLaren who've had their careers well-rooted. Um, but I don't think it's a, a, a very wise idea for them to sort of slot Fernando back in again. Anyway, he's got to win the 500 first. And once he's done that, you know, he wants to go and win Bathurst or something. I don't know.
1: I've but- got a, There was a tweet question related to to mclaren and um, see if you can help me with this joke because i i'm terrible with foreign pronunciations uh it's welsh i think s-i-o-n Sion. it's going to be random that's going to be like Ewan, isn't it
2: i don't know Where, how does that come up
1: i don't know s-i-o i'm just gonna say it. Sion roberts says in in light of zach brown doing a great job finding sponsorship and the appointment of james key and andreas sadie mclaren seemed to be the midfield team best positioned to take the fight to the top three. I'm not sure about that. In Oh, in 2021, uh, did Ricciardo make the wrong choice choosing Renault over McLaren? I didn't know that he had had McLaren as an option.
2: Uh, he, he certainly had talks with McLaren, yeah. But um, who knows if it's the wrong choice? You know, the Renault boys were both in point scoring positions last weekend when they... The cars expired that was unfortunate it was fairly disastrous but it means that they have cars that are competitive enough to get points so it's not all bad um but you know in the finest traditions of formula one everything is different you know in the week before bahrain mercedes was everything and ferrari were rubbish <laughs> uh, Then bahrain happens and Ferrari's everything leclerc is even better than everything and Vettel's rubbish, and Mercedes are rubbish. And next week, when something else happens, you know, it'll be the other way around. So it's 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 very very silly this sort of um, yo-yoing around based on what happened last week.
1: Uh, and apparently, it's it's just Sean there you go sean robbins yes,
2: I, I i i was sort of figuring it might
1: be that. that don't pull that joe that's what my eight-year-old does yeah i was i, I was going to say that that was definitely well, i was pull. thinking about it and i thought no i can't be bothered so <laughs> thank but, you very um, much um sean so i mean do you think do you agree with sean that zach brown is doing a great job he the criticism was that he was less a motorsport guy and more of a marketing man but is he making things happen now
2: well, we don't know. We'll have to see the financial results, won't we? I mean, you can make announcements. It, you know, we've got a new sponsorship deal, it might be worth $5. You know, so anyone can make announcements. No, no. It's Rocket. True. <laughs>
1: Rocket. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need, you have to, you have to see the actual results. Now, James Key had nothing to do with this car. This is Pat Fry who built this car. Um, and he's done a very good job. So basically he's pulled together a team of people who were working already and, and they produced a good car. So, you know, will James Key do the same? We don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But um, yeah, it, it, it's very, very simplistic to say this is great, this is this, and this is going to lead to that because it doesn't work like that. You know, last year, Force India were going to be the ones stepping up to you know the next big thing, and this year they're not really anywhere at the moment now that they've got a new factory coming um but that'll be two years away so they need investment um and formula one is it's never standing still so you know you 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 can look at it you know and
1: who knows where the, the the pecking order will be thank you joe and depending where you are in the world you may hear a word from our sponsors
0: Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for twenty percent off your first purchase. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans.
1: We can do that.
2: I would also ask myself, if I were you, I'd ask about the Dutch Grand Prix if you wanted a good scoop. Well, a scoop?
1: Oh, yeah, all right. Let's have a scoop. Hey, um, <clears throat> uh, Joe, I'm wondering, completely off of my own back, with the popularity of Max Verstappen, surely we're primed for a Dutch Grand Prix.
2: Mm-hmm. You're getting
1: there. Okay. Well, hang on. What was, Do I need a better question? Is there going No, to be no, a- that's a perfectly perfectly phrased question. Zandervoort. The tight twisty Zandvoort. Dutch. It's a, a canal circuit reclaimed from the sea, presumably.
2: It was built from the roads that linked German defences in the war really the, the Atlantic Wall. Yes, that's what happened.
1: And we are racing there when next Tuesday, next week,
2: ne- no, next year.
1: Next year. Hang on. Is this so? We, we hear rumours about this all the time.
2: If you read my JSBM newsletter this week, you would find out that I have actually announced
1: that there will be a Dutch Grand Prix. We are just going to, you know, what? we trust you, Joe. We, If you say there's a Dutch Grand Prix next season, there's a Dutch Grand Prix next season. How do you personally feel about it?
2: I'm delighted. I, I've seen Formula One cars going around the old Zandvoort, admittedly. Um, and it was a great place for Formula One.
1: So So what's it going to be like now with modern Formula One cars? I don't know anything about the circuit. Is it more Hungaro ring? Is it more Monza?
2: Well, it's a bit of the old circuit. About half the old circuit is left, and then they built a new section which was supposed to keep the spirit of the old one alive, but didn't really to any great extent. Um, It should be fine. It should be exciting racing, and it will be absolutely jam-packed, and you won't be able to drive there. You'll have to go on a bicycle, or (laughs) you'll have to go by train, which you can do at Zandvoort. So I think it will be very popular. I think it will be very successful. And Spa may not be very happy.
1: Ah, now then. So in the same way that the Mexican and Austin Grand Prix kind of maybe bump into each other and and take away some of each other's audience, do you think that's the concern for Spa?
2: Well, Austin and Mexico are slightly different cases. There's a 1,000 miles between them, whereas Spa and uh, Zandvoort, there's not. So I think you'll have to have... The Dutch Grand Prix would have to be in the spring yeah if if um spa stays where it is
1: and and Corku and Omu and others in the live chat are wondering if that means that someone in Europe is going to miss out
2: no, it'll just be an added one Ed, an added one, although there may be some european races I mean there are some serious problems going on in Spain at the moment getting that renewed um mainly because Fernando Alonso is not there anymore so makes it more difficult to pay for it Uh, there may also be questions of Catalonia and Spain and you know all these other confusions because there's political stuff over there you know
1: fantastic exciting news Joe I'm going to pick your brains more I want to get to Ferrari but I've had a a nice question in which is to both of us and it's one of these kind of broad F1 questions who's the best driver because we're talking about Alonso being the second coming of McLaren Uh, who's the best driver in their prime Alonso Schumacher, Lewis and Vettel. So for me, Vettel is the bottom of that list. Do, do you mind engaging in such questions? Sorry, the, the question is when they were in their prime,
2: who was the best?
1: Yes. So I, I, I'll give you my ranking quite happily in their prime on talent. Uh, Lewis, Fernando, Michael and then Vettel some way off with probably eight people I could mention in between the two.
2: Well, I think Lewis is, 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 is the best all round. Uh in and his prime now. Alonso's prime when was that? <laughs> um he had so many years when he was not in the right place. So uh and, and and the reason he wasn't in the right place was his own doing. So basically that sort of undermines his case. Uh Schumacher uh Schumacher always had to be um had to have the team to himself. You know, Valtteri Bottas was not allowed to win races in the regime of Michael Schumacher, which undermines his credibility for me. Lewis is there beating Valtteri Bottas on most occasions, not not necessarily in Melbourne, but you know, it shows that Lewis is, is sufficiently grown up to be able to sort of take on anybody. That that could yeah, actually. Vettel's got a little bit of the same as Schumacher. Yeah, that's so, true. And Vettel is weak under pressure too, so, as we. Have oh seen. yeah, no,
1: I think yeah, Vettel goes goes down. Uh, certainly, in the last couple of years, his overall stock has has gone down. But for Schumacher, the, playing the career game is part of the F one game, though, isn't it? I mean, you could almost say that's a positive for Schumacher and a negative that Lewis Hamilton has always been. Yeah, take no, it on. No,
2: I don't agree with that because ultimately, when you when you when you look at assessments of all time greats, they 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 take into account things like was the shoot was the teammate allowed to win, and if the teammate's not allowed to win that undermines the credibility of the driver. You know, he's in the right place, but he won't let his teammate win. So, um, you know, you can say that's, that's the ultimate pragmatic way of looking at things, which is what Jean-Todd did in that era. But that doesn't make it sporting. And that's what I like about Lewis is that Lewis, Lewis is racing and he doesn't. there aren't any team orders. There was one occasion when there were team orders, which was sensible last year, uh, where Bottas had to give up. Russia. Vic. Russia Mm. Um, but that made sense but you know normally Mercedes doesn't have any team orders at all and it's just go for it and see what happens and as we saw in the in the Rosberg era um, things did happen and we've seen it this year too Valtteri beat Lewis in Australia and Didn't, didn't beat him in Bahrain
1: though some people will argue that there was some damage to Lewis Hamilton's car so but we've had that argument I'm sure
2: Yes, there was damage to Lewis Hamilton's car, but he was still behind.
1: In Melbourne, you don't overtake uh, when you're behind, so you know. That, oh, yeah, no, that's a fair point. Yep, yeah. even if he hadn't had that damage, Valtteri he could would, have he still would not taken have gone
2: hurtling past and, <laughs> and won the race. No,
1: so uh, we, we touched on on Vettel there and his his struggles last season and this season. Some people think I'm a little bit harsh on Vettel. I, I will, I think I'll stick to my guns on that. Okay, who spun? In the middle of the race for no particular reason. Well, it, four times out of the last 10 races
2: that he's that's done that. That's true, but yeah. I'm talking about this particular year. Start it all over again. Got to beat your new teammate. Come under a bit of pressure. Oops, round it goes. You've blown it.
1: All so- right, well, jotma well, there asked a great question. Does Joe have an opinion on why Vettel was so good in the blown era, Is that if that's right, but not, not anymore? Do you think he, the cars have just they've gone away from what he wants. I don't
2: think that's related to any kind of technical matter. I think it's related to the fact that he was protected species at Red Bull. You know, they, they loved him. They wrapped him in cotton wool, made him feel good. Uh, And which is what he needs. Clearly he needs to be, um, he needs to be not under pressure and Mark Webber put him under pressure occasionally, but they protected him. Uh, The minute he wasn't protected at Red Bull, when Dan Ricardo arrived, um, Vettel came apart. So, um, you know, I think Charles Leclerc turning up at Ferrari and doing what he's just done. I saw Charles on Sunday night uh, in the airport, really. And uh, he was—he wasn't looking at all glum at all. He was quite happy. And I said, "It doesn't matter he didn't win." No, nope, not at all. Not a bit. Because I said, "You've—you've—you've you've, you've got the other guy already," you know, in the head. And he just smirked. <laughs> Not in any sort of indicative way, but he smiled. He's a very discreet young man. But um, I'm going to you know, make the case. I'll,
1: job. I'll make the case that that engine failure was was good for him because I've my theory. My running theory at the moment is that Ferrari have a performance versus reliability choice to make, and they they've rolled the dice a little bit and gone aggressive in Bahrain, which gave them the pace. But then they they probably realised there was a risk. But if they hadn't taken that risk, perhaps. Uh, Leclerc would have just been behind the Mercedes and not looking great this way he gets to be out at the front gets to be heroically robbed still show the world that he's fast he was outperforming Vettel even before Vettel spun and then his teammate went and further compounded that by spinning the win is nothing compared to the PR and the legend that's now building around him it, it was it was a perfect weekend for and him.
2: also and also the psychological damage it's done to Vettel this is a game of psychology. This is a game of strong minds. And that's what makes the difference at the top level of the sport. It's who's got the stronger mind. And what we've seen is that Charles Leclerc comes in not phased by the pressure at all, totally laid back. Did you see there was a lovely little bit of film of him dancing 15 15 minutes before going on the grid? Somebody had done (laughs) a Uh, uh, I don't know if it was a keyhole film, but it, it, it looked like it was a uh, deliberately done. But he was he was actually just dancing in the in the uh, to relax, I suppose, and sort of you know train up some muscles or something.
1: <laughs> and Stuart Neal points out, well, he, he's he's a young and a wonder kid at Ferrari. Of course, he was smiling. In fact, I went down to Palmer Sport for a track day because uh, a listener, uh, Paddy very kindly sent me an email. And if you're ever going to send me an email, kids, gmail.com, the absolute best way you can start that email is, would you like to drive my Porsche around a racetrack? Which is what we did. But looking around at all those owner drivers, Joe, there weren't any sad people with their race cars. They say money can't buy you happiness. It can buy you a very fast car, though. And uh, there's there's no surprise that Charles Leclerc is a happy boy at the moment. Even Charles Leclerc, yeah. Or or Leclerc, whichever, whichever you want. Well, he's
2: he's apparently sold his soul to the devil and, and just decided to call himself Leclerc.
1: Hang on, so he's, what's his teammate called? He decided to call him Chuck Leclerc now. So Joe, what's so. his teammate called? His
2: teammate? Yeah. Sebastian Ficke. Fettel.
1: Fettel. We shall say Fettel from now on, and we shall correct each other when we don't. Uh, Ferrari, in general, Binotto. Is he making a difference? What's the difference? Do Ferrari love the media again? They've got a fun, happy Twitter account that now joins in with Renault and Mercedes and Force racing stroll point. Is that Bonotto? Well,
2: yes, it is. Cause he's the, he's the one calling the shots and he certainly was the one who uh, decided that the media policy was insane, which is, I mean, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that. Um, so, you know, they've done it. They've done a, a very nice job of getting things together. Uh, being open and friendly. In fact, they're doing a better job than some of the other teams now. Easy, actually. One or two of the other teams are going the
1: other way. So, do you are you back in heart with Ferrari? Can you talk to them? Can you walk into their motorhome? Yeah,
2: I know absolutely. You can walk in and talk to them. I, I talk to Bruno every weekend now, um, and uh, to Laurent, um, the uh Mechis, the uh, the sporting director as well. Um, they're not they're not all terrified of being shot <laughs> by some loony chairman anymore so um and you know what is the point of being in a media business if you don't talk to the media it's just insanity so it made no sense at all and they fixed that they've got a good car they have a good driver lineup sort of or at least half of it's good um and you know we'll see what happens but you know i think i think they're going to be a very strong force and i think that people who think mercedes is walking it
1: are dreaming Uh, Get onto that. I know. I know people are going to email and be upset and say we're being anti-Vettel. Will I'm only reflecting the results he's been putting out. If he starts turning it around, we'll reflect that. We don't have an anti-Vettel kind of agenda. Uh, But
2: people have to understand that that's how it is. We are just being objective and critical. It's not that we don't like him. It's not that we we think he's an idiot. The fact is, he's just not delivering. And we get I get endless accusations of bias of this and that. And I find the whole thing deeply insulting. I'm just reporting what happens. So, you know, if they want to make a fight, fu- you know, if people want to be rude, and it just it just highlights their stupidity more than anything else, to be honest. so
1: Joe, can you just get um, off that fence, please, and just tell me what you really think?
2: Well, there you go. I've just done it,
1: haven't I? That was the, yes, that was the joke. Get it? Because I explained it to you. Very good. Good. By the way, I think there'll be 23 races next year. 20. 23? That's quite a mm-hmm. lot. I like that. So there's races every other weekend. Oh, yes. Joyous. Joyous. <laughs> oh, yeah. That really affects your life a lot more than, than me just turning the telly on a little bit more. So are they going to do it in a common sense way, do you think? Or is it just going to be shoved in?
2: They'll do it in the only way, the any way they can, really, so, because, you know, they are, um, they're They're stuck with some of Bernie Eccleston's deals, no matter what they do there's no no easy solution to that it's going to take five years to rebuild the calendar and even then it's not easy because canada's stuck in the wrong place and things like i was like gonna say
1: it's china then over to canada then down to texas and then back across to bahrain it's a great start to the well, season.
2: No, i mean they, they they do want to fundamentally have this the, the uh springtime in in asia summertime in europe and autumn time in the americas but it's very hard to do
1: so you touched upon uh, the, t- I think, the Mercedes bigging up Ferrari. Toto Wolf is the single biggest cheerleader of Ferrari in the last three years. And he says that Ferrari have a 40 horsepower advantage now and are going to be the team to beat in China. But we, Toto Wolff, brilliant bloke, but surely he's blown all credibility about bigging up Ferrari. He's the boy who's cried Ferrari far too often.
2: No, I don't agree with that at all. I think I think he's very down-to-earth and practical. And I think that Ferrari did fundamentally blow it in Bahrain. They should have had a 1-2. Um, and they ended up giving Mercedes a 1-2. So, you know, we'll see what happens in China, but I think he's right. Ferrari has an advantage at the moment. Not necessarily in all tracks, but on most of the tracks that seems to be the case. Now, We are still sort of putting the, dotting the I's and crossing the T's in terms of the performance. And we're going to have upgrades coming, which confuse matters still further. But I think, you know, I think we're beginning to get a picture now of where it's at. And I'm with Toto. I think Ferrari's Mm. ahead.
1: But can, can, are they, are they gambling? Are they taking too much out of it, the car, to be No, I don't think they are. I think
2: the car can do it. So, I mean, they they blew it completely. They got it all wrong in Australia. But that can happen. You know, you can have bad weekends. But I think fundamentally Ferrari is ahead. Mercedes is second. Red Bull is third. And then there's an argument really between Renault and McLaren. Thus far, McLaren has come out ahead. uh, But I think Renault is right there. And you also, I mean, it's so tight, the midfield. That's the other thing to bear in mind that you can have um toro rosso is suddenly popping up there in the points um you can see the alfa romeo otherwise known as salva um sometimes there, sometimes not there so and and it's and and what you have to do when you see these results don't go on the position because you can go from 6th to 20th very quickly sorry 6th to 18th very quickly (laughs) um And I think that that's what we have. We have a situation that if you have one sort of glitch, you're in 18th. So that's, you know, Dan Ricardo and the Hulk. Uh, They don't look good if they're in 17th and 18th, but, you know, three tenths and they'll be in six and seven. So, you know, one has to look at the the background as well as the, the detail, as well as the sort of numbers.
1: We could move into some detail and some numbers. I I like talking to you about the businessy side of things, Joe, and where teams are at politically. And by like to, I mean Matt Trumpets bullies me into asking you these kind of questions. Uh, Everyone's been impressed with the Haas model. Haas is in the news all the time because of Gunter Blinkensteiner just blinking, saying blinking all the time. Well, they're also performing
2: on track, apart from last weekend, where they performed very well in qualifying and were hopeless in the race. Yes. Uh, why that was, who knows, but that's just what it is. But they are doing a good job.
1: And that model is something that uh, a lot of teams are eyeing up now. It's making the Williams and McLaren model look a little bit old-fashioned.
2: But they're changing the rules to stop that model being Uh, too... Much along those lines that they're actually changing it so you have to make a lot of stuff
1: right now then okay so i'm gonna unpack that a little bit because the two things that make me think that thought think previously that that wasn't true is that there are going to be more spec parts for the 2021 regulations and then the other point is that racing point seem to be wanting to cozy up to mercedes to kind of pull off a little bit of a has so where am i where am i going wrong
2: well the teams will have to make spec parts but they won't be able to buy parts to the same level they can now so they will they will have to make their own parts they won't be able to buy them now that should logic though you know a spec part is a, is a spec part by design ah right okay um, it is not a spec part that comes out. of. I mean, there will be parts it's, that come out. It's and, not off uh, the
1: shelf is what you're saying. Exactly.
2: Right. There will be things that come off the shelf, like the gearbox will come off the shelf, I'm sure. Or rather the gearbox cassette that goes in the gearbox. The gearbox casing is part of the aerodynamics of a car and therefore will be free. And fundamentally, it all makes a lot of sense. Anything that has no effect on performance, why on earth would you not have standardized? performance is dictated fundamentally by the engine and by the aerodynamics. So you keep those and you make everyone else build standard stuff, but they build it themselves. They can't buy it.
1: I'm with you. Probably. I'll listen back. I always get it on the listen back, Joe. I listen to these at least twice and I recommend people do. So you're not, are, are you, are you not hopeful then that racing point can, emulate that has model and and am I am I right that they're trying to do that I mean they're sharing wind tunnel time is that as as far as it goes
2: well at the moment you can still do stuff but one of the reasons they're building a bigger factory is because they're going to have to do more themselves so you know Toro Rosso have had a lot of Red Bull stuff um, but in the future they won't necessarily be allowed to do the same kind of thing So they're aware of it. They know it will cost them a little bit more money, but they'll be getting more money back from the deal that's coming anyway. The new commercial deal will be good for everybody if it goes through, which it will go through.
1: And this is the one that finally strips Ferrari of its inbuilt money advantage?
2: No, there will still be an advantage. Why? Well, because it's it's a team that's been there forever Mm. and it's a small manufacturer. And it's this, and it's that, and, and fundamentally, because all the other teams agree, it's all right. But it's only forty million, not a hundred, or it's seventy rather.
1: So-, so, so what are we practically going to see? Because the the cost cap, if that's going through, is around the Renault budget at the moment. That kind of region. No, it's not. No, higher, lower. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, the budget cap is lower than the Renault budget. So all the works teams... The budget will... cap is about the Williams budget, actually. Oh, wow. So all the, the works the teams... Will... have been wasting money. You've got to bear that. You
1: know, they, 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 they don't have a small budget, but they're not using it very well. That's the thing. So so who's the winners and losers then out of this cost cap? And is this
2: 2021? 2021, yes. The, the, the losers should be nobody, really. But what it means is that the big teams will have less ability to use their money as, as a weapon. And that's, you know, Mercedes have got to where they are by, by spending a lot more money than everybody else. Now, if you can be efficient and do what Force India Racing Point has done in the past, which is produce good performance for low money, therefore you should be well positioned. So fundamentally, money should not be an issue. It always has been an issue in motor racing, but it shouldn't be an issue um, because it should be down just to clever, clever engineering.
1: What What does Mercedes do with its eighteen thousand employees then?
2: Well, they've got lots of things they can do. They can send them all off to Formula E. That's the future, isn't it? So people keep telling me. They can send them into road car development. They can
1: send them into... Uh, Esports. They can, they can
2: all go and leave and go for, work for other racing teams if they want to stay in Formula One, which is fine because you spread the good people around.
1: It just feels like that's Mercedes being a turkey voting for Christmas. Did, did Mercedes resist?
2: Well, Mercedes, of course, have been resisting, as have Ferrari, but they also understand that you can't go on forever. Um, they've managed to delay it quite dramatically. Um but you know, if you don't have faith in your own ability to win when you have less money, what what do you have? You know, so I think that Mercedes, if they're worth their their salt, they will um they'll say, well, we can do this.
1: I've got an insightful and intelligent question. Yes, finally, um, does this mean that the teams are going to be less inclined to pay a superstar driver and more inclined to bring in a driver who can fund himself? No. That was so close.
2: Because they won't need to. Fundamentally, if, if you get a situation where you have a budget cap of one hundred and thirty-five million dollars, and the Formula One group gives you one hundred and thirty-five million dollars, mm-hmm. then all the money that comes in, the sponsors can pay for the drivers. Whatever you know, the, the driver's salaries will probably. Uh, it, the drivers have to prove their worth as being you know something of value. Otherwise, the driver salaries will come down. Uh, it is just a market force. Lewis Hamilton's paid the money he's paid because he's good. Sebastian Vettel, when he goes to the next uh, negotiation, he's not going to get the same kind of money he's getting now.
1: Simple as that. Oh, so, we stop kicking know, him. He's already gone.
2: It's market forces. So, And it always has been market forces. But the fact is that teams should become able to self-fund in the future, without having to make a loss or somebody having to bail them out every
1: year. Did you know, listeners, that Joe has a series of books that are facts which are in themselves fascinating and in book form? They're still available to buy, aren't they, Joe? Those fascinating, fascinating facts.
2: Fascinating Formula One facts. Yeah, you can buy them somewhere on the internet.
1: You can do, if you're one of those people who reads... I'm not a reader, Joe. But how about we put them in some kind of audio format? I don't know. Let's say starting sometime next week. And I can help you out with that, Joe. You don't have to do anything. Sounds like a genius idea to me. Fascinating facts from Joe Sayward in speaky-speaky form. Look out for that. You are going to China, where you will write your GP Plus uh, magazine. Do you call it a magazine magazine? e-magazine it's an e-magazine yes it's It's not very snappy though is it the e-magazine sorry uh nor is e-racing but everyone gets excited about it so and that is uh, you search gp plus and joe saywood to to hook up you do a year subscription no
2: electricity involved in it
1: (laughs) you do a year subscription for i don't know was it 30 pounds peanuts nothing the per race the per race Value is good, Less Joe. than a pint of lager and a packet of crisps. Fantastic. Of course, Joe also blogs F1. So search Joe Blogs F1. You can follow me as well, you know, at Spanners Ready on that there internet. You can follow me in real life in a go-kart, if you want, around Rye House. Yeah, on... who,
2: who's to say that you'll be leading?
1: Well, I, I will... Because it's random grids, I will occasionally be in front of some people and okay, so won't be following you, then you could be following them. Yeah, well you have ruined the segue, though. I mean, I said the word. Oh, follow. I'm, sorry. I'm
2: sorry, I was just correcting you on, you
1: know. So. Fine. Well, you can follow Bradley Philpott because you definitely will be following Bradley Philpott. You can follow Alex Brundle, who's obviously very quick as well. He'll, he'll, they'll be ahead. I can have those, can't I, Joe? Uh, you'll actually be following Kyle Power as well because he's very fast and very edgy. All related to willpower. He's No, he's not, unless... Well, actually, good point. I don't know his genealogy. If Will Power is a kind of edgy-looking Grebo with a beard, then it's a possibility. Well, he's an Australian IndyCar driver. Don't think so. Don't think there's any relation. Alex Van Jean, our very own resident Mike Headbutter, and Chris Stevens as well, who's going to be doing some commentary and some spinning, uh, and some some racing in a go-kart. That's Rye House, April 20th. Go to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash karting and you can join us there but if you don't want to do that just follow the show at Mist apex f1 missed apex podcast on facebook and do consider supporting us on patreon.com forward slash missed apex until next time remember that wounds heal chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever this was inside f1 with joe Sayward, who's in the paddock and stuff I mean i assume that everyone knows who you are joe i'd never sit here and explain you know joe's a guy who goes and writes about f1 at the grand prix
2: i have no idea are you the most idea who your readership is or listenership Listenership. whatever the
1: word is where do you reckon you rank on the most famous f1 journalists it's probably like five
2: i don't i don't worry about it no
1: come on you've got to be like you look across at buxton and you go i remember you and you were nothing will and now look at you you think you're better than me that's what you
2: do. Mm, no. No, right? no, never do that. Actually, Buxton, Buxton received a lot of help from his elder.
1: <laughs> does he remember leader. that, or does he does he leave you in his dust now?
2: No, yeah, no, Buxton is Buxton is, is is he's well aware of his past. And in fact, if you ask him one day to tell the story of how he came to Frinton on Sea and built sandcastles. <laughs> to learn about formula one you can find a good story
1: yeah i think you told me that story actually the first time that you came on this show Probably. and and yeah, the, the lesson i learned was if you want to make it in f1 media follow joe saywood's on holiday follow you around wherever you go <laughs> i think that's
2: <laughs> so i try to avoid that if possible but there you are
0: imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time